Welcome to the Sticks and Stones podcast, bringing you interviews with people from across the globe who are changing the face of sexual health for the better. This is the place to hear about new approaches and initiatives in sexual health, best practice, challenges, and to meet some of the people who are driving change from around the world. My name is Nick Mallon, and I administer the SDI International Exchange, or Sticks. I hope you enjoy today's conversation, and please subscribe to receive future episodes. So for today's episode of Sticks and Stones, we're going north to Canada with Sean Rourke and Rick Galley, who are affiliated to Reach Nexus, which is part of the MAP Centre for Urban Health Solutions in Toronto, Canada. And Rick and Sean have been doing some great work pushing um, self-HIV testing in Canada. Um, and I've got some very, very interesting results. So Rick, Sean, lovely to um, chat to you both. What would be great is if we start off um, with one of you just giving an overview to the program, to Reach Nexus, the activities that you're doing. And then let's just circle back and look at some of your, your backgrounds in sexual health and how you ended up where you actually are at the moment. I'm Sean Rourke. I, I'm a scientist, but I see myself more as a kind of a social entrepreneur. And we're working, supporting a center called REACH that's at the MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions in Toronto. We're a center in a downtown hospital that serves really the vast array of socioeconomic gradients and try to understand more about what we can do in a very pragmatic way to help improve the health and well-being of uh, people living in not only in our neighborhoods, but uh, in our city of Toronto, but also our hospital has uh, a vision for us taking leadership positions and in terms of thinking about uh, the kinds of health and solutions that people need, particularly those who are underserved. Those are people who are actually where the healthcare system doesn't work as well as it, as it needs to or, or our public health system. And, and what can we do to sort of bridge those gaps between health, public health, the community Based services and so we center our work uh, of reach um, that's funded by the Canadian Institutes for Health Research in that space and we've been tackling a number of complex uh, health issues for people living with HIV and those at risk for developing HIV over the years in our work uh, this has evolved from HIV to include sexually transmitted infections and bloodborne infections so we often refer to our work as working in the space of HIV and STBBIs and in fact, what's sort of changed over the last five years, I would say, is that um, HIV is now embedded back where it probably should have been originally back into, you know, other public health and health programs where we can think about and respond to better. I think what are some of the underlying issues that create uh, challenges for people who have uh, HIV and other kinds of infections like hepatitis C and, and, and other STIs and really think about what we can do to make sure people get what they need, where they need it to improve their health and well-being. So our centers of reach and, and our MAP Center for Urban Health Solutions works across an array of complex health and uh, public health issues. And our work, uh, Rick and I and, and our team at REACH have been focused really in the last five years on testing and linkages to care, particularly for HIV, particularly for looking at those who, who aren't uh, getting what they need in terms of getting access to testing knowing their status and be able to make decisions for themselves about their health and well-being. 
to get on treatment and really, you know, really be able to benefit from the incredible science that has come from in the HIV world about treatment and live, uh, you know, normal lifespans at the same time, you know, help them to achieve viral suppression. So, you know, people with HIV won't transmit and as well to their, to their partners. So our work really starts there, Nick, and we can talk more about what we're doing. We've worked in a number of health areas, but this is where our focus is right now. So thanks for the, uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you more about what we're doing and, and, uh, you know, what it means to Canada and how we we're connecting to uh, folks like you, Nick, and others around the world to help us, you know, get ahead of the epidemic in, in Canada. And, and just sort of doubling back, you said the program has been going for 14 years. Were you there from the very beginning, Sean, and how did that come about? And then maybe Rick, if you jump in and just let us know how you came to join the program as well, I think that would be great. So our center started almost um, 14 years ago now, and, and um, we were, you know, really at that time thinking about the social determinants of health more generally and things like housing, food security, things that, you know, we were grappling with in Ontario and in Canada about, uh, you know, really being very aware that people living with HIV weren't getting the housing options that they needed and thinking about what we could do. So we applied to the government, to our Canadian government, uh, and we're funded to, to build this center called REACH, which is essentially to support the bridging of community with, with scientists and public health and healthcare practitioners and government to look at solutions, really understanding very much pragmatic solutions for determinants of health. And so we did a lot of work initially in housing that went to food security and, and, and we built programs that really helped to really look at what we could do to, to influence policy and, and actually get housing for people living with HIV and, and understand now, um, I mean, to jump forward from that first work that we did, you know, housing is, is now in the work that we've initiated both in Ontario and supported across Canada, we understand that housing is health. Housing is good health policy, housing is good prevention, and is uh, really good health care. So, you know, our work really helped to sort of understand that better, get it on the map. And so that's how we began our center. And we, we just went through and sort of looking at, uh, you know, pragmatic issues that were barriers for where our health and public health systems were fall, falling down for people living with HIV and address those. So jump forward to today, you know, working uh, we've been refunded because we've been very adaptive and thinking about not just what the questions are to ask, but thinking about the implementation and execution issues that needed to happen uh, to influence policy change in the provinces and in Canada. And so uh, these last five years in testing have really been focused now on seeing that we could get to the finish line with the backdrop, with the cascade and thinking about where, where we are in Canada with the cascade and, and uh, knowing that we have a healthcare system that's supposed to reach everyone, uh, but we know that that's not the case. And so it, it does a very good job for about 85, 90% of people, but there's a gap. And those who are underserved for a variety of reasons uh, don't interact with the healthcare system, the public health system very well because of racism and, and homophobia and structural inequalities. And so, you know, our work has really looked at where the gaps are. And so really to summarize, Nick, sort of where we started in these last five years and is that, you know, recognizing that there was there was a number of tests that weren't available for us in the Canadian marketplace and uh, companies weren't investing in Canada, thinking about options for people to get testing, point of care and self-testing available to them for HIV, for other STBBIs, as I mentioned, 
And then thinking about if we could get them to market in Canada and have them approved, you know, how you deliver them? How do you make sure that, you know, you have a license, a new license test, but how does it get to the people that need it the most? And so, you know, we've been working on really innovative, again, practical problems to reach everyone in ways that bring essentially the testing and the supports and, and the information that people need for connections to care to the people, because these are people who don't come forward. So, um, so this has been the challenge, but I think we're doing we're off to a really good start in the last five years in getting there, Nick, about providing more options for people uh, and meeting, meeting them where they are. Thanks, Sean. Rick? Yeah, so um, just a, maybe some background. You know, I go back a long time, and Sean and I actually do go back a long time. We've been colleagues for many, many years, uh, even before I joined ReachNexus. I got my start, you know, back in public health laboratory sciences and was fortunate to be part of that uh, public health lab scene uh, when HIV testing emerged in the 1980s, the early or sort of early to mid 1980s. So I was part of the group in Ontario here in Toronto that helped form, you know, the first HIV testing laboratory. And I've essentially stayed with HIV testing for all those years since in various iterations. We've seen tremendous growth and evolution of the whole testing realm uh, when it comes to HIV starting from the first initial lab-based tests to some of the most uh, incredible developments in molecular testing for things like genotyping and resistance testing, of which I was a part of kind of moving from public health laboratory sciences into the uh, British Columbia Center for Excellence in HIV. So I moved to the West Coast and uh, spent many years at uh, St. Paul's Hospital working with antiretroviral resistance testing which was critical in those days when therapy was being developed and, and individuals were on various drug therapies and still hadn't been optimized and resistance was a big, a big factor, resistance to the, the various therapeutic regimens that folks were on. And so it was important to, to learn what drugs were going to work, but also which uh, drugs would not work for people living with HIV and on treatment. And so then just following my course from, from there, I had an opportunity to uh, work with industry in, uh, again, in British Columbia in helping develop these new tests, these point of care tests that were emerging as, you know, devices designed to reach individuals who may have difficulty using standard laboratory testing methods. And so these point of care tests were uh, emerging globally. And of course, in Canada, you know, we had that opportunity to build these, get them through regulatory procedures and into use throughout the country. So I spent a number of years with industry helping develop and bring these tests to market. And then I guess uh, fast forward to today or the last few years, Sean and I, you know, got together and talked about how we can, you know, expand and utilize some of these new tools in Canada to reach the undiagnosed going full circle back into implementation science and, and utilizing these new tests with REACH. We had these opportunities to bring these new tests to market, not only bring them to market, but also implement them in various programs throughout the country. And so that's really what piqued my interest to come back to Toronto and uh, you know work with, with REACH. And uh, it's just terrific how that's evolved over those years to where we are today. Thanks, Rick. And you set up my next question, which is great. You mentioned the programs in 
that, that you're doing with Reach. Tell me about those programs or, or, or Sean. The testing programs that we developed and, and why do it this way. I mean, I think Canada has an interesting health and public health system where you know, we have access to universal health care, but the provinces make decisions about how they administer health care. And so you're working with a federal government that oversees, a, a, you know, the Health Care Act, makes sure we, everything follows, but leaves it up to the provinces to administer and uh, how they really administer different programs to serve, obviously, the, you know, the people, the citizens in those, in those communities, in those provinces and territories. And so it creates an interesting conundrum because when you're trying to implement you know, a national policy. So, you know, getting testing available to everyone, you know, everybody wants to do it a little bit different or you have to engage all of these players around the table. And so our work has really needed to think about not only how we get new tests to market, but how, when you make them, try to make them available, how do you do that in a system where you have all these different health systems and, you know, health authorities. Uh, and so that's been, you know, the interesting part of our work, the, the kinds of solutions that we're looking for implementing to reach the undiagnosed. Again, in Canada, there's about 6,500 people or so that, that are undiagnosed with HIV. And obviously they're not benefiting from treatment. They're not benefiting, you know, in many ways from everything that comes along with that. In terms of the services that is still in Canada, we have an array of services for people living with HIV that actually still, you know, consider this an important health condition, obviously, and, you know, have, have clinics and, and resources that are can help support people once they know their diagnosis. And so, you know, that's an important part of what the backdrop of the kind of work that we're doing to think about those contexts and then how to ensure that you get the test to the people who need it. With that, again, to emphasize that the community-based response is, is fundamental to this. I think that's been you know, we have a health and public health system that have been doing their work in HIV, but haven't always involved the community-based systems. We see ourselves, uh, Rick and I, you know, having a foot in all of those and then thinking about, uh, you know, how do you bridge? Because these are people who are falling through the cracks and, and it's not sort of, you know, build it more in the health system, build it more in public health. You need all of these communities, all of these sectors working together. And the government, um, you, you know, really takes a more of a bigger picture role in making funding available. And in terms of implementation, there, there is that huge gap. And so we're filling that in, essentially. We're providing the, the leadership and, and the connection to bring in the community that's been a missing piece in this puzzle in order to get to reach the undiagnosed. And, and, and for that matter, those people who are diagnosed and, and are in and out of care or on and off treatment, because there's not there's not enough support for them. So this is the stage that we're at in HIV. And and you know, just to jump forward, Nick, to say that, you know, in terms of the cascade and ending HIV, new cases in, in Canada, we can get there. We can reach our ninety-five targets by twenty twenty-five and and really have been pushing the government and they've said this publicly that you know this is what we want to do, not by twenty thirty, but by twenty twenty-five. And to do that it's all about execution. It's about thinking about what are the solutions that you need to do? How do you implement them? And recognizing as, as Rick and I have known for a long time, and which is true in any country really, is that one size doesn't fit all. There's not gonna be one magic bullet. There's not gonna be one magic approach. And so our role has really been about thinking about the di different kinds of approaches and, and ways to work that allows that, you know, reaching one key population in Canada you know, we have five key populations, you know, we have people uh, and it's, you know, Canada is, again, a big country. We have people that come from 
from indigenous communities, people who are First Nations, Métis, Inuit, uh, that have been on this land, um, uh, stewards really of the land of, of Canada, and, and um, you know, where the services and access don't always work for them in the ways that they've been designed. And so a lot of our work is really to, to really partner and work and walk together with ind indigenous communities to figure out what can be adapted culturally for them so that it meets their needs. So that's one key population that we're working with. The second is African, Caribbean and black folks. And, you know, again, setting the context for our work and things that we're doing, you know, there's um, a huge disparity in the access and support for black folks in Canada and recognizing that, you know, if you're not working with these communities and, and really both having them out front, thinking about, you know, what is, you know, what's going to work for them and how do you make sure that those services are better suited uh, for these communities. So that's the second key population. Clearly, you know, working with, with gay men and men who have sex with men um, has been, uh, you know, in many countries, an important component of the work in HIV. And, you know, we're, we're doing a pretty good job in, in that area, although racialized communities for gay men and MSM are, are not as, as, as good. And so we need to have more focus there. And then the, the fourth key population, Nick, is, is people who use substances and inject drugs and recognizing again that, you know, is a is a heterogeneous group and a group that, you know, really, and particularly with the backdrop of the opioid crisis, it's really been made it much more complex in reaching those those people. It's, it's uh, you know, how do you need to integrate harm reduction and, and, and so on into the work. And then finally, you know, youth that are, you know, underserved and women as well sort of intersect many of these these other populations, but recognizing that there's a younger group of people that that really are street involved and, and those who, who don't get the supports uh, that they need early in their lives. Those are the key populations that we're working with, Nick. And, and so, you know, just to set up sort of the approach to reach is, is really recognizing what's been the health system and the public health system gaps. What are the key communities that you need to work with? Bring in new tests to market so they're available and then thinking about the novel solutions that need to reach people. So I'll turn it over, Rick. We can tell more about sort of where we are in the landscape of bringing new tests forward. Uh, recruiting Rick to be part of REACH was was really essential in, in our work because I'm a psychologist, I'm a neuropsychologist, I know nothing about testing and I've learned a lot over the last four or five years, but having experts that appreciate the backdrop of working with industry, working with understanding tech, you know, the kinds of things that you need to, to know about to bring new test markers, because the companies weren't coming. We've now created a space where a variety of, of, of tests are in the pipeline. And so I'll turn it over to Rick to, to share more about kind of where we are in that landscape of new tests and what's going to be available to Canadians to, to help support them in their health. Rick? Yeah, thanks, Sean. And, you know, just picking up from, uh, from your introduction on the key populations that we're trying to reach. And so we know that HIV testing has been uh, really in Canada, in the laboratory space, pretty much state-of-the-art in terms of you know, the, the, the testing technologies that were used, Canada has always been able to stay on top of all the developments, primarily in the laboratory uh, testing sector. But we also know that that is not reaching everyone that needs to be reached, in particular, you know, uh, priority populations uh, that Sean mentioned. There are barriers to access. There are there's a lot of stigma associated with the uh, let's call it traditional testing methods. And so our goal was to really work with industry to try and bring some new tools, you know, to be accessible for individuals that prefer perhaps an alternative testing method. 
if we use self-testing as an example. Self-testing has for HIV has been very extensively used in global settings, particularly developing world settings. But in Canada, it was very, very new. You know, it, it, it begins, as Sean said, industry, you know, look at Canada. It, it's, it's a significant investment to bring a new test into the country to go through regulatory procedures, to go through clinical trials. And, you know, the return on investment you know, due to market size may not be that attractive in some cases to, you know, industries. And so, you know, there's there's a bit of a gap there in, in some of these uh, excellent tools that are out there, getting them into Canada. So working with, uh, you know, with REACH and our ability to support and work with industry to conduct the necessary clinical studies, to help navigate the process through the, the Health Canada regulatory process, and then eventually lead to having these new tools approved for use was really one of our significant goals. And you know we've been successful with a uh, self-test for HIV. We're working with a second self-test to not only have self-testing, but have choices in self-testing uh, available to Canadians. And that model is, is being expanded to other, uh, not only HIV, but STI devices. So really bringing new tests to market is has been uh, a really key core program, uh, which I'm working with Sean on in expanding the Canadian setting to include these new devices that may have been unavailable and, and may continue to be unavailable without our type of, uh, of support for this work. So it's really exciting to see this. And I think industry really appreciates the opportunity to work with us to be able to, you know, to do these studies in a very least burdensome way, let's say, uh, for them as an industry. And Canada benefits from getting new technologies that may not have been available otherwise. So let's take a short break to bring you a message from one of our sponsors. AuraSure are the makers of AuraQuick HIV self-test, which uses oral fluid to check for antibodies to HIV type 1 and HIV type 2, the viruses that cause AIDS. The kit is designed to allow you to take the HIV test anonymously and in private with the collection of an oral fluid sample by swabbing your upper and lower gums with the test device. You mentioned that Canada was a little bit late coming to the self-testing market in comparison to other countries. What's the background of that? Because when we think of Canada, we think of a very advanced country, a very good healthcare system, a lot of funding in research and development. Why was the sort of self-testing, remote testing piece so far behind other countries? I think it's a combination of things. It took a while for the Canadian industry to mobilize, to develop their own uh, self-testing capabilities. You know, I can speak from the experience I had working with, with industry in Canada. The, the actual development itself had to start from scratch. You know, there was a lot of years of device development while devices were in use in other parts of the world. It was difficult to bring those into Canada, again, for the reasons I stated earlier, industry was uh, looking at Canada as potentially not a large market, especially with the existence of a very sophisticated laboratory-based technology or testing realm 
you know, where was self-testing going to fit? And, you know, these questions were open. However, industry in Canada, you know, stepped up, developed a self-test and brought it through the regulatory procedures in Canada, actually in North America. And those, as, as you well understand, take a long time and a lot of expense. So it was a gap that needed to be plugged, but it was, it was difficult to, you know, to do so from, from the industry perspective. However, once that was completed and self-testing has become a real standard of care now in Canada, is actually surpassing point-of-care-based testing, it's got nowhere to go but up now. So Canada is catching up uh, rapidly and, you know, programs built around self-testing are really now becoming standard across the country. But it took a while to get there. There's no question. I might jump in too, Nick, on that regard. I mean, I think sometimes I think we're a little bit too Canadian. Uh, we're a little bit too conservative, maybe maybe a little bit too modest and in, in those things. I think while, you know, everything that Rick said was true, I, I mean, my position is in, in this sort of stage of my career is that when you see a problem, the governments and our health and public health system should be able to respond, knowing when it's right in front of you, knowing that it's working around the world, why isn't Canada doing what it's doing? And so we've stepped up and filled that uh, with very good support from the government as well, I should say. And, and the funding has allowed us to do this. Although I have to say that we couldn't have done it just on research funding. We've had to been creative in, in, in exploring and getting support from foundations to do this because we've funded, we're funding all the trials so far uh, on our own in the sense that industry is not contributing to those. And so it's a very unique kind of model or approach. You know, and I think it's getting uh, international attention because of the way that we're doing this. You know, not only bringing, as Rick said, the, you know, November of 2020, having that first HIV self-test approved in Canada, getting the, over the finish line with, and it's wonderful that this was a Canadian company, Biolytical, now working with Orisher, getting the second HIV self-test, you know, in the pipeline and, and really wanting to get it over that finish line. It's not there yet. We're hoping by the summer that it'll be there. You know, I, I do think that governments should be more involved. We're, we're obviously keeping the door open and always welcome that opportunity. But short of that, without these, we're not going to end the epidemic with HIV and these other epidemics that are you know, happening in our country with syphilis, for example, is, is really out of control. And without point of, new point of care testing, without new options for self-testing, we're not going to fill those gaps for those that are the most vulnerable, those who are underserved, those who we haven't built a health system that works for them or a public health system. So I'm always you know, pushing the government, uh, letting them know how we're doing in terms of our of our progress to keep them open. Having said that, Nick, you know, I think the announcement of the International AIDS Conference, uh, August the 1st, where I was part of a panel with our health minister, Minister Duclos, uh, announcing, you know, investment to support HIV self-testing in Canada, you know, happened because we've, we've really are moving the needle here. We're, you know, having options that are now available uh, in our federal government. Kudos to, to them for the leadership of not just relying on the provinces to buy the tests, because that's what's been the past approach with point of care, is is letting them just on their own do that, of, of uh, really investing and supporting access to tests. And really this is a program that, you know, that we're implementing at REACH. We're one of the, we're actually responsible for, you know, really the procurement distribution support to get them you know, these tests uh, out to people who, who most need them. And this is a program you know, that is distributing 200,000 
HIV self-test kits. So your question about, you know, where has Canada been? We've been late to the game, but we're, we really are trying to catch up. And, you know, in comparison to what's happening in the U.S., uh, they're doing something similar over the next five years, distribution of 200,000 tests. So, so I, I'd like to see that we're now being much more competitive. We're doing the things to catch up to reach Canadians who need testing. And so I, I really, you know, I'm so thrilled with the investment by our government, uh, the leadership of Minister Duclos, and, and uh, this is one-time funding. So our job right now is to get it refunded. And hopefully uh, when it gets refunded in the spring and summer, there'll be another, another test available that we can kind of bring into all these modalities to allow people choice to have a blood-based test that is, you know, that works and an option of an oral fluids. That's our goal. So, you know, sort of mentioning, uh, Nick, too, what our goals for reach are is really for HIV, get, get two HIV self-tests in the marketplace. We're working at getting point-of-care testing and hopefully self-testing eventually for HIV and syphilis. Uh, again, people need choice. People need opportunities for testing for more than one thing at a time. And, uh, you know, what, what's been really kind of a silver lining with COVID is that people appreciate, you know, testing and making decisions about their health or well-being, where they go to work, where they go meet with friends. And, you know, and, and so it's been remarkable uh, timing for us to then realize, well, you know, everybody should be able to do that for, for HIV or for syphilis or for other things. And so, you know, not only are we doing our job, but, I, you know, again, the government is as well and stepped up to, to make it available for everyone in Canada. Our job is, is now making sure that it reaches everyone. And so we're build, building in programs to actually evaluate in real time, which we can talk about. But I, I just, just want to emphasize too, like I, on the one hand, I've been a bit uh, concerned about just the lack of investment to get to bring the new test to market, but they're you know, stepping in and, and now providing the resources and funding and support and commitment to move it to the next place, that is getting it to Canadians who need it the most and recognizing that, that that's their job too, uh, as well to support programs that are going to reach those who, who need it most. And so that, that's another piece to the puzzle, Nick. And with, with that too, just to, to, to mention the investments in the summertime in August were also with these machines, uh, gene expert machines that allow testing for, for a lot of different things. And, and, Rick and I have colleagues at the, the National Microbiology Lab, Paul Sandstrom and Adrian Myers, who are doing a, f a terrific job, who, who actually did a terrific job with these machines being available for COVID testing in rural, remote, isolated communities, particularly Indigenous First Nations, and, and really building the, the testing capacity for them to be able to do this testing on their own. And so bringing the resources into them, the technology, and allowing them to, to support testing in their communities and these machines are now, gonna, now are being redeployed and repurposed for uh, not only for respiratory infections, but also for HIV, STBBIs. And so there's a remarkable sort of investment there as well that's been happening. Again, tools that are going to work to reach people who are filling these gaps. So we're, we're excited about what's possible. Uh, it's now just getting to the people who need it the most. Thanks, Sean. So Canada's like a, a middle distance runner where you sort of start off at the back of the field and you're catching up and overtaking everybody, everybody else. Tell me a little bit about the numbers. How many people have used the testing? What sort of positivity rates are you seeing? Just some top level numbers I think would be useful for the listeners. The ways that we're getting into people are using technologies like apps and we have a really interesting program we launched three weeks ago in, 
in New Brunswick called our Health Box, uh, putting self-testing kits into you know dispensing machines and including in them you know harm reduction supplies to to really look at and support people in their communities what they need for their health. I would say that so far so good. We're reaching numbers that you know our program, our I'm Ready program, really is about a you know reaching people that uh, return is about one percent. So it's doing a pretty good job. I have to say that this has been a year and a half in the works, and now we're building out and building with. We've sort of taken a more of a general approach, and now we're working with the key populations to engage them in the social networking, the social activation that needs to happen with them, uh, you know, front-facing with these in our program with I'm Ready, and has evolved into this program called I Am, which is now this larger umbrella that really is talking about intersectionality. So as we do that, Nick, I think we're going to see higher rates of return. And so, you know, I think so far so good. We for our I'm Ready program, I mean, we we built in a mechanism to understand, you know, in terms of people's uh, demographics of who we're reaching, but also with follow up in terms of the pop ups and the surveys, about 40 percent of people responded to let us know if they're positive, if they got a positive or negative result on their testing. And so with that estimation, I'm Ready has probably reached about 100 people. But, um, you know, there, there's obviously a lot more to reach. And I think as we build that out, and, and we work with communities to tailor them better to f- f- be front-facing, I'm hoping that that number gets up in the 3 or 4%. For the other ones, I think, just to comment quickly, and I can turn over to Rick for his reflections as well, that I think they tend to do a little bit better when we're reaching, you know, in terms of our intervention clinical studies that are sort of more this test-and-treat approach for the data that's needed for these for the regulatory approval we built it in something novel, not just the, the studies that need to be done to get the approval, but we build them in to actually understand how the health systems can be working with reaching into these populations, supporting them. And I think our rates there are up sort of more at the three to four percent level. So that just makes sense because they're working, you know, in the communities where where HIV is going to be much more uh, prevalent. And these programs are reaching people that not only our new diagnosis, but people who are previously diagnosed, but not in treatment. And so, you know, some of our work, for example, our work in, in Alberta, you know, identified people who weren't in care and got them reconnected. And so this is the other element that's, you know, our, our kind of approach of, you know, building out and supporting, you know, the, again, one size doesn't fit all. So you're, you know, in doing this and in, in, in getting the data that we need for the for the companies, the industry partners to have the regulatory data on performance, uh, why not do interventions and help to reach and support people at the same time? So did that with HIV and syphilis and, and um, most recently, you know, doing that in another province, the Saskatchewan, uh, with a new, new test just for syphilis. And so we're, we're evolving that. I, I think those rates are going to be up in the higher digits uh, because you're reaching any communities where uh, they haven't been tested. And and what's interesting about that too is now in Saskatchewan, giving people the options of you can test for HIV alone or, or syphilis alone or both at the same time and understand people's preferences. You know, we sort of, you know, from my perspective, I think, well, let's just make sure everybody gets tested for everything, but not everybody is ready to get tested for everything. And because the supports and the you know the community might not be there, and so you know understanding that better will help us then better build up programs that reach people where they are. So, so Rick, yeah, just over to you. But those those are some of the initial numbers that we're seeing, which are in, which are promising, I think. Right? Yeah, exactly. And you know maybe just following kind of a practical pathway when we look at the 
you know, the, the life of a new test that starts out as an investigational device. So right away, it's in the research realm and we're developing the necessary information, the performance data for that device to become approved, you know, by the regulators. And so now that it's approved, it goes into new challenges about implementation and program levels that might be able to utilize these new devices. And this is what, you know, what REACH is doing. So we start out as a research program. We build the information around the use of these new tests, like, you know, for example, the HIV self-tests and some of the programs that Sean mentioned. And the ultimate goal is to transition it from research to actual program delivery and program levels, sustainable long-term programs that are not entirely research-based. The research certainly helps us understand what the gaps are, what may be needed, lessons learned, and that information is extremely valuable in decision makers making decisions around new programs, around better utilization, and of course, um, you know, sustaining at various levels. And this is our goal. So we have to start in as research, you know, out of necessity, but the goal is to have this evolve into fully sustainable programs. And that's where we're at. We're at sort of that transition now. We've demonstrated uh, a lot of successes and a lot of important lessons learned with our first implementation of HIV self-testing. And those lessons are really helping inform where we're going to go in the longer term uh, outside of the research environment and using what we've learned in, in the research environment to make these programs really, really robust and, and fully supported. So that's kind of the, you know, we start with a, with a new test in the research world. We work to get it approved, and then we continue in the research world often to demonstrate the utility of these tests in specific applications, and then from there it emerges into a uh, you know a full program level. So we're really following that along. Yeah, fantastic, Rick. And um, I mean, I remember when we last spoke in the summer, and it was about Ontario. And now, Sean, you've mentioned Ontario, Alberta. Saskatchewan and there's probably more as well so the growth of the program has been has been exponential and how is the linkage to care handled is that the community partners that you mentioned will they pick that up and do the follow-ups and the um, prescription drugs and the treatment and the ongoing care that's the piece that still needs more work Nick but it's, it's the most important I mean testing is the way into care and it's the way in for people to know their status to make decisions but we're building that out. So we, we've been, you know, again, our health system is, is passive. You go to it, right? So when we're building out technology solutions, whether you're using an app or a, you know, a health box machine, you know, letting people know what those pathways are. And, and, and again, in Canada, we don't have one. We have, you know, 13, 14, 15 of these, right? So depending on how you look at sort of the different provinces, territories, and regions, and uh, they're all a bit different. They all have different access points. Some have more resources than others. And so those are there, but we have to be much more intentional about how to connect. And so we're, again, turning to more technology too, Nick, in, in this and thinking about, I mean, we built out not just, you know, where these are available, but, you know, whether you could get them online or for, through an app, but we also have built in telehealth services and people aren't using it as much as we thought they would, partly because I think 
this first group of people that we've been reaching with in the last 18 months for HIV self-testing is using technology just to get access to a test and making their decisions, you know, and knowing about that. But there's a lot of other people I think that were missed are missing because, you know, the connections aren't, you know, aren't there uh, or, or there's a bridge that needs to happen better. And so we're working on that now and thinking about, you know, what other partnerships that we need to develop, you know, locally, regionally to make that happen. Because at the end of the day, you know, people aren't going to you know, reap all the benefits if they just get tested and don't have the right supports. Part of that, too, is to be able to adapt and provide support for people in the cultural you know, appropriate pathways that they're going to need, not only to get to connect the first time, but to stay in care. And I know from, you know, colleagues and, you know, clinicians that are working at the front lines in practice, you know, what does it take? Two or three visits before you know that they're connected. It's not that just that connecting them and handing them over and making sure they know where to go, but it's that not just the first, but sometimes second, third, fourth, and making sure that that, that uh, experience in the healthcare system has worked for them has worked to address you know their needs so this is work nick that we're paying close attention to and certainly our community partners are going to be important in that but as well as thinking about other things that we need to do because uh, this is a group of people that aren't you know traditionally it's not just making sure of information is available it's it's to be much more adaptive and and flexible in ensuring that they have a range of ways to get connected and stay connected so yeah, so it needs more work uh, and more trials, you know, adaptations, I think, before we're going to, you know, again, one size doesn't fit all here either, right? Women in the Indigenous community, a leader in the community out in, in Alberta actually said, Sean, Sean, you know, these these pathways that we have in Alberta, it's great that we're, we're doing this, but they're, they're not all the right signposts. So there's work that needs to be done and we're, it is work, you know, really locally and, and the contexts are important. It isn't just one for everyone. It's thinking about those communities and because it's all about context, right? Building it out and what's available in, in a big center or a smaller place or rural or remote isolated community, it's going to vary. And thinking about how do you make sure that the geography isn't a barrier, that, you know, there's adaptive things that are there for people to make, have choices. And we want to make sure that everyone has options, uh, you know, access to all of those choices uh, to make the best one for them. Thank you, Sean. Um Final question for you both, and it's one that we ask on all of the podcasts. If somebody came to you and said, what advice would you give me? I'm looking to work in sexual health. What one piece of advice would each of you give that individual? Uh, don't give up, I guess, would be a, a way to start. You know, there could be many barriers in in. in you know, in sexual health, I mean, that's a huge topic, right? I mean, we can talk about, you know, what do you want to do in, in sexual health? Do you want to be working at the community level and working with individuals? Do you want to be working at the uh, more science and technology level and perhaps developing tools uh, or working with industry? My advice would be go for it. It's, you know, it's, it's something that we uh, continue to see uh, needs for, you know, for people pursuing a career. And despite the fact that you might hit some barriers, there may be some challenges. You know, I think we spoke a lot about those today, about some of the barriers in, that people face in sexual health and, and perhaps access to testing and care and treatment. 
but if you're committed, you can help overcome some of those barriers. So I would certainly encourage anyone to, you know, put their heads down and just dive in and not give up. That would be my sort of general advice and not for, and, and to be brave, be brave. It's a great piece of advice. And Rick, what bit of advice would you give? Uh, sorry, Sean, what bit of advice would you give? Yeah, I just I would, would, would pick up on, on Rick's comments about it. I mean, I think, you know, working in this space, first of all, you get to work with extraordinary people. And, you know, I think the response is uh, very much in, in the sexual health world and what's happening and where we need to go. It's working with just incredible people who are committed to supporting their communities. And you, you learn so much from working in these spaces and you're learning about sexual health, but to solve those problems that we're trying to solve, you learn so much about just the human condition and um, the things that how this is connected to so many other things. I mean, our sexual health is connected to our health and mental health and, and all these things, right? So, you know, working with extraordinary people, you get to work with extraordinary people, you get to, you know, really be in a space where we've only come so far to date and now it's about you know, it's innovation, but it's disruptive innovation in some ways. You get to challenge the status quo and what's been going on. Uh, you get to think about and work with people who are, you know, pushing the envelope with new ways of doing things. Uh, and again, the impact, I, I would say, like, like most things in health, when you work in one area, you know, you're working with all these other things as well. I mean, it gets connected. So you get to get exposed to these these other things that are going on in this world. Um and I think that's, uh, you know, for me and for us at our center, uh, you know, it's, it's always exciting. Um, there's always a challenge. Um, but I think that there's a space now where you're, we're working in a space where you can try new things out and, and get support for that. And I think, you know, with people who, who are interested in seeing change, you know, it's one person at a time that we reach you as undiagnosed. It's one person at a time we reach that needs to get access to treatment. And uh, that's very personal. And those stories that you, you you hear about, sometimes directly right away, sometimes later, or the people who are working with them certainly have shaped my own life in terms of thinking about my role and, and uh, ability to be part of, you know, help people, you know, working as a scientist or as a clinician or as a, as I mentioned, a social entrepreneur. It, it just keeps you going. So I think it's the, it's the people, it's the context, it's the, the space that we're in where, um, you know, we can get there. And I think, um, you know, Nick, it's been wonderful working with you and Sticks around the work that is sort of bringing Canada around the table. And Rick's been involved in this as well to see that, you know, we have something to share with the world, but we're also very keen to learn, learn from all the experts that you've you know, really brought together in, in your network. And it's exciting to be part of that, learn from them, but what we can adapt and apply in Canada, because I think that's where, you know, when you, when you create what we've been doing, you're giving people hope, but it's just really so important, but you're also creating expectations that you can solve things. And so that's the other part of it. Well, my last comment, Nick, is that when you raise expectations about what you can do, keeps us really busy on the one hand, but um, it also keeps us thinking about what we need to do to ensure that every, everyone has what they need to support their health. So, so with that, it's just a, it's a, it's a wonderful space to work in. Uh, it's kind of a long answer, Nick, because it's, um, it's very personal for Rick and I, and we, we wouldn't be doing this unless it was, I think. And 
Rick doesn't want to retire until he's seen that we've gone to a point. So, you know, we're not there yet until, until we're there. It's, I think it's very personal for Rick as well of, you know, getting over that finish line, knowing that we've actually accomplished something that makes a difference in people's lives here in Canada, but also that we've contributed hopefully to, uh, you know, other things that people can, can take from our lessons learned here in Canada and adapt in other places uh, for their communities. Fantastic. And no intention of letting Rick retire, I hope, Sean. So we've got plenty, plenty left not, in him. Not quite yet. Yeah, I'm not ready to go out to pasture quite yet. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Thank you very much for listening to the Sticks and Stones podcast today. And if you do have a moment to rate and review us, it really does help other people to find this content. And remember, you can also follow us on Twitter under Sticks STI. That's Sticks S T I X S T I. Goodbye and thanks for listening. Sticks and Stones is produced by Birdline Media.